Great to be with you again folks, it's always good to come along, I think I've said this to you before, it's always good to go to a church where they believe the Bible, Um, it's quite rare nowadays to actually go to a church that preaches the gospel, uh, that believes the gospel, that shares the gospel, that lives the gospel, Uh, and surprising as that may seem, uh, is actually fairly rare uh, nowadays. Uh, So it's good to be with you again, I'm going to do something fairly different uh, today, those of you who know me uh, probably know that I'm not the conventional type of preacher Uh, what I'm going to do if if, uh, you know anything of your church history uh, this past week has been a momentous time for the church because it's a time where we've celebrated the reformation uh, 500 years from a guy Martin Luther uh, nailing 95 thesis, uh, 95 pointers that he was basically wanting a discussion with uh, with the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church of the day uh, with regards to salvation, with regards to some of the practices of the church at that time that he felt were wrong when he looked at the scriptures, when he looked at his Bible and he seen what was going on in the church both of the things didn't quite uh, marry up and we celebrated uh, on the 31st of October uh, 500 years from Martin Luther nailing uh, those theses uh, onto Wittenberg Cathedral uh, over in Germany and the world has been transformed in these past 500 years folks, things that we uh, couldn't imagine or they couldn't have imagined 500 years ago have been made possible uh, through the Reformation. I'm not going to go into uh, all of the history uh, of it, but things like uh, salvation in terms of by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, these are terms you have maybe heard uh, before. That has all come from the Reformation because before that salvation was seen in the church by works. It was by what you could do to attain salvation. There were indulgences where you could pay for your relatives who had gone before to get to heaven quicker, to pass through purgatory quicker if you only paid the church some money. Some terrible practices that people who were poor, people who were really struggling uh, bought into this because they believed it with all their heart uh, and were really misled uh, by the church of the day. What I'd like to do in in memory of Martin Luther and and really as a celebration of uh, 500 years from uh, the Reformation, I'm going to preach a Martin Luther sermon. Uh, So uh, rather than getting one of Tommy Wright's feeble attempts, here's a sermon uh, from Martin Luther that was preached in uh, the year of 1522, uh, only a few years after uh, the Reformation. And still things were very, very difficult. Uh, At this point, I don't believe he had been excommunicated. Uh, from the Roman Catholic Church but it was coming, Uh, they were after him for these things that he was trying to do bring people back to the word of God back to what salvation really is truly all about and this is a sermon that I think speaks uh, directly uh, from that uh, angle, I wonder if you could turn with me in your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 18 Uh, Luke chapter 18, a very famous uh, parable uh, in Luke chapter 18. We're going to read from verse 9 uh, through to verse 14. It says, he, speaking of Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, 
I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give all of my tithes, or I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's just pray before uh, we deal with this passage. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it tells us what we need to hear. We thank you for the Reformation 500 years ago, the rediscovery of the gospel of grace by faith alone in Christ alone. Lord, we ask that here today we would be impacted by this gospel, that we would be impacted by your spirit softening our hearts, because Lord, if we're honest, sometimes we're the Pharisee in this passage. Soften our hearts, Lord. Help us to see that salvation comes by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Help us today, Lord, as we open up your word. This is your word. This isn't my word. It's not even Martin Luther's. It is your word. And we ask that you would speak to us through it in Jesus' name. Amen. This gospel brings two uh, extraordinary persons to our notice. Two kinds of people who come before God seeking righteousness. And there are two kinds of righteousness that are shown. One makes a great show before the world and in the eyes of men. And yet before God it amounts to nothing and is condemned. The other which before God is called righteousness is pleasing in his sight. One is a beautiful, proud saint, the Pharisee. The other, a poor, humble, sorrowing sinner, the tax collector. And we hear two wonderful, strange sentences of judgment which condemns the great saints of this world as unjust and declares the poor sinners acceptable, righteous, and holy. The Pharisee was most upright and pious, with all earnestness desiring to serve God and keep the law. The tax collector served neither God nor man. He was too busy robbing to oppress and to harm his neighbour. And you know, it's wonderful that Christ brings both of these persons together. Two persons who are so entirely different from one another. And Christ searches and examines both and finds nothing good in the Pharisee. Although he did many costly works. And on the other hand, a public condemned sinner we find to be the real good tree with good fruit. Although he doesn't shine forth with all of the great works of the Pharisee. So then let's briefly consider these two persons. Firstly, you must admire the Pharisee with his beautiful life. Uh, 
He is a man who dares, dares to stand before God and praise his own life in the divine presence. And he begins with the first and the highest of the commandments and he shows himself as one who worships the one and only God. As he observes the Sabbath, here he is in the temple to seek after God and to pray. And the Pharisee very quickly goes on to the second table of the law and he shows that he has done no wrong. He's not offended against the fifth, the sixth, the eighth commandments. He's not committed adultery. He's not stolen his neighbor's goods. Here you view all the commandments together. And he appears to the world to be a paragon of godliness. He's a fine, pious, God-fearing and holy man. He's to be applauded as a mirror example for the whole world. And if the world were full of people like this, then surely it would be a lovely place. Now contrast the tax collector. There is no resemblance to this holy Pharisee. No one could regard him as seeking after God much. He not only failed to give God what he was due in the service of him, but he robs and he steals from others. He is known as depraved, hopeless, and there is surely no good to hope from such a man. So how can it be that the Pharisee is condemned and the tax collector is justified? Is it that God delights in those who do no good? Those who are robbers, who are adulterers and unjust? Oh no. Here we have another higher law which probes deep into the hearts of both of these men and finds in the Pharisee A great evil which destroys everything which may otherwise be good. Such is the reproach of this fine man and rogue who is great before the world. This Pharisee with his fine discipline and his honour. Before God he is worse than a robber, a murderer and an adulterer. For with all his gifts... He is here accused of transgressing against both God and man. Against both tables of the law. For in the first commandment, especially presumption is forbidden. That a man should not trust in himself or in his own gifts as this man clearly does. Who struts and is tickled with the gifts that he has received from God. And in essence worships himself. This is the great sin and the great evil with which he runs counter right against God himself. This man knows nothing of God. And on account of his own great holiness presumes to stand before God. He does not seek grace. He does not seek forgiveness. Nor does it occur to him that is even in need of any of these things. And now since he so monstrously, against the first and highest commandment, sins in shameful, horrible idolatry, presumption, defiance, depending on his own holiness, as if there is no fear of God, neither trust nor love. He seeks only his own honour and his own praise. 
we must surely conclude that he does not honestly and from the heart observe any of the other commandments. All is false. With lies he pretends with his prayers and his worship. And therefore, to the highest degree, he misuses and disgraces the name of God simply to adorn his lies. And therefore only brings down condemnation and wrath from God. For what else is it but to blaspheme and deny the holy majesty of God when he prays this? I thank you God that I am so holy and so good that I have never been in need of thy grace. That I find so much in myself that I have kept the law and you can't accuse me of anything. I deserve so much. You're bound to repay me. You're bound to reward me. And like manner, see how he rumbles and blusters in the second table of the law against his neighbour. For there's no Christian love or faithfulness by which we see that he cares for his neighbour. He who goes to work and tramples his poor neighbour under his feet by his shameful contempt. He does not consider this tax collector worthy even to be regarded as a human being. When he should help and serve his neighbour, he does him the greatest wrong. For when he sees and knows that his neighbour sins against God, he doesn't think how he can save him. He doesn't think about how to reform him and bring him from condemnation. He has no sympathy, he has no mercy in his heart for a poor sinner. And worst of all, we sense that he is actually glad that his neighbour is under the wrath of God and the power of sin. The heathen themselves know of no greater wickedness than one who is so faithful, so hateful as only to rejoice when his neighbour meets such hardness. Such devilish, such hellish wickedness cannot be greater in anyone than in false saints who want to honour God with their lips and before the world. Who want to be seen as holy and want others to be seen simply as obnoxious and filthy. If a doctor, when he visited a person who was sick and who was dying, if a doctor did nothing but laugh and make fun of the dying man, who would not take that man to be the most desperate villain that walks the earth? He not only withdraws his assistance from this dying man, but he laughs and he scoffs at his sufferings. How much greater villainy is that of a false saint who sees his neighbour in so much danger and uses it against him and gladly plunges him into greater condemnation. Just as little will you find that such a person observes in his heart any other commandment. See what a disgraceful, monstrous devil is in such a pure and a beautiful saint. Who can cover himself with the thin appearance of a few works which he performs before the eyes of people. And yet in his worship, in his thanks and in his prayers he blasphemes and dishonours the high majesty with outrage and defiance in the open public. He dares to boast before God, to be so brave as though God were bound to treat him 
as a model saint. And as a debt he will give him heaven and everything that he may ask for. You know this Pharisee is set up by Christ as the highest example of what a man can do by his own strength. And it is certain that all of us are no better. We want to be holy. We want to be better than other people. We adorn ourselves and pretend to be exceedingly holy. And dare to blaspheme and lie before God's majesty that we're not like other men. We've kept God's law and so heaven should open up to us. But now contrast this with the tax collector who also comes into the temple to pray just like the Pharisee but with quite different thoughts, with a quite different prayer to that of the other man. This tax collector, he confesses himself simply a poor sinner. He's convinced by his own conscience. He's condemned. He has nothing which with he can be boasting of or proud before God or the world. He must, he feels, be ashamed of himself. Because the law has so smitten his heart, he feels misery and distress. He's terrified. He's filled with anguish at the judgment of God. And he feels that he can bring nothing before God. He has mere sin and shame. And with this he is so burdened and so oppressed that he does not even dare lift up his eyes. Because he feels that he deserves nothing but hell. Nothing but eternal death. And must condemn himself before a holy God. In short, here is nothing but sin and condemnation. Nothing. And where is the Pharisee confessing nothing of his own filthiness, but makes a purity out of it? This tax collector so feels his sin that he cannot stand before them. He must confess that he daily offends God with his disgraceful unthankfulness, with his contempt, with his disobedience for all of God's mercies and goodness. Therefore he knows that he cannot trust in himself. He cannot comfort himself in his own works. He knows he must wholly, entirely despair of himself. And nor can he despise anyone. He can't exalt himself above his fellow because he feels that he has done the most deeply terrible things. And that he is of most deeply condemned he regards others as happier and better than he to sum up you'll see this is the beginning of true repentance a man who is heartily penitent who's sorrowful over his sins and heartily desires deliverance from them and seeks grace and mercy from God But mark the sinner's prayer here when he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Where did he learn to speak like that to God? And how does this man dare to call for grace to cover his sins? This is a precious gospel of God's grace and mercy in Christ which is offered to condemned sinners without any merit of their own. This tax collector must have heard this gospel. 
Now there are rogues who will try to imitate sorry, this tax collector and who use the Lord's Prayer. They've heard these words that God will be merciful to poor sinners and they've learned to repeat these words to smite their breast and to present themselves as so humble, so penitent in words and questions that a man could swear and they could also swear themselves that they are just like this tax collector. And yet it is false and just a delusion. These false ones are no better than the Pharisee. They are false Christians, false brethren, of whom there are also a great multitude in our communion. Who can say the words and greatly praise the gospel of God's grace and confess that they are poor sinners. But when they are rebuked for actual sin, they will neither hear of it nor suffer it. But begin to be angry and say, my honour is offended. In words and show, they might pretend to be like the tax collector. But in reality, they are more like the wicked hypocrite. For they speak and they present themselves to be holy. Only that others might regard them as pious. Of such, the world everywhere is full. People wish to comfort themselves that God is merciful to sinners and yet they don't want to be thought of as actual sinners. So they agree that God's word can't remain silent about sin but they apply the word of God and the rebukes of sin simply to others. And such people are like the false, hypocritical saints who indeed say they are poor sinners but don't want anyone to regard them as though they were actually sinners. For when others say that they are sinners, they are deeply offended. We must say two things, two utterances. I am a sinner. God be merciful to me. It's the most difficult of all to say these two sentences in the same breath at the same time from the heart. Because in the one hand there is so much of the old rogue in us, the Pharisee. Before God we are anxious to be good, to be righteous. We want God to approve of us, of what we've done and to be pleased with us. But there is a hindrance that blocks that way, like the angel with the fiery sword at the entrance of paradise. Salvation must be by grace alone, that none may boast before God. On the other hand, we can come before God with our sin and our shame and yet find we are all anxiety, all worry. And the devil whispers so that I cannot dare lift my eyes and cry out, God, be merciful to me, even me. So this is the most wonderful thing on earth, that a man may have the grace to know himself as an actual sinner. And yet, and yet, turn around, cast away all thoughts of God's condemnation and of God's wrath and hold on to mere grace. Therefore, let all who can learn, learn from this high wisdom, learn from this tax collector and lay hold of reconciliation, lay hold of forgiveness and grasp with simple faith the comfort and the doctrine of the gospel of Christ. 
So when you feel, oh, I am a sinner. When your heart tells you that you belong to the devil. When you feel that God does no longer want you and you begin to flee from God. And if you could, you would run to a hundred worlds to escape him. Is it this time in such a fight away from God in such terror? Stop. Stop. Turn and say no. My precious gospel teaches me and the good tax collector teaches me that before God the highest wisdom is to know and believe that God wants to be gracious. To help the poor and condemned sinners. And so you can say, oh I am indeed a real sinner but God is gracious to me I was God's enemy he is now my friend I should justly be condemned but I know that he does not desire to condemn me but to save me as an heir of heaven this is his will which he has preached to me and has commanded me to believe For his sake and of his dear son whom he has given to me. And so you see that we have in this tax collector a beautiful example of true Christian faith and repentance. He's an excellent masterpiece of high spiritual wisdom and theology. Of which the Pharisee and those like him have never perceived or tasted or smelled. And you see here are the proper fruits that follow faith. This man is now a different man. With a different mind, thoughts, words and works. See how he gives honour and praise to God for his divine grace. He calls and he prays to him from the heart and in confidence in his word and promise. And thus... Thus, in faith, he performs true worship and observes the true Sabbath. And he also has a heart which begins to be an enemy to sin and to disobedience. He is sorry for the life that he lived against God's commandments. And now he earnestly seeks to forsake all of his evil ways. He wants not to offend, to deceive, to treat anyone unjustly or with violence. And he anxiously wants everyone to live the same way. This is a picture of the gospel. Of two kinds of persons. One appears to be the most pious, the most sanctified servant of God. The other... The little flock of those who are true members of the church, true children of God, who do not have praise and great reputation before the world. And so see to it that you follow this tax collector. Become like him. Namely in the first place to be a real sinner, not a false one. Not in words only, but in reality and from the heart. Acknowledge that you deserve God's wrath. You deserve God's punishment for your sin. And bring before him in truth these words. I am a poor sinner. And in the same moment, bring these words. Be merciful 
to me. And through those words you may blunt the sharp edge of the law and turn it away from you. God is an enemy to those who do not want to be known as sinners, to those who do not fear the wrath of God, but who continue safe and secure in themselves. But God will be merciful to poor sinners who feel their sins and confess that they are condemned before the judgment seat of God. Those who do not want to be accused as sinners, judgment strikes them. But the sentence of grace and of comfort passes upon all those who lie in terror and in the fear of death. Now here is just where the devil will fight with us. First the devil likes to make sin so small. He likes to make sin so small that we stumble into it. And then in an instant he makes sin so great in our eyes that we think it is too hard to lay hold of forgiveness for that sin we have stumbled into. At that time, bring into your heart these words. I am a sinner. God be merciful to me. And take this tax collector as your teacher. Like him, call upon God and you will obtain the goal of your faith. Amen.